Scott Ramsey is well known for his beautiful wildlife photography and his passion for Africa's wild places. In this episode, Scott speaks about some of the remote locations he has traveled to in search of the perfect picture and the patience you need to have when photographing African wildlife. He also gives us some practical tips for wildlife and landscape photography. This podcast is brought to you by Leopard, your guide to tailor-made travel in Southern Africa. To find out more about what we do at Leopard, visit leopard.voyage. So lots of people, being a photographer's a dream job. You get to travel to incredible places and create these beautiful images. It's the opposite of a stressful desk job where you where your daily routine can leave you pretty unsatisfied and dreaming of a different kind of life. So Scott, how did you become a professional photographer? So I was um it was in many in some ways the decision was made for me. I didn't really have a choice because I was working in um the corporate world up in Joburg, Cape Town. I even spent some time in London and um I was pretty miserable <laughs> sitting behind a desk all day in a suit and tie. And uh I mean I guess I grew up in a family where, you know, that was kind of like the thing you did after school and university is you, you know, you wear a suit and tie and go to the office and get a job. And uh um I yeah, I guess in my mid twenties, I just I was sitting in Joburg in the office, and I, um, I yeah, I kind of like if I I told myself if I didn't get out of here quickly, um, I would, <laughs> things 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 were going to get weird, and um, yeah, I, I I for some reason just kept daydreaming of um, elephants and baobab trees in Kruger. My folks had always taken us um, in June July holidays from Cape Town to Kruger for family holidays. Um, because my grandparents lived up in uh, up in Hardebeusburg Dam, so we'd visit them and then go straight down to Kruger after that. And um, maybe I didn't appreciate it at the time, but certainly, you know, those memories stuck with me. And um, yeah, my mid twenties, I was like, no, I've uh, I've I've got to get out of here. Um, I didn't know really know how I would get out. I didn't know what the options were. All I knew is that I had this um, strange sort of vision or calling in my in my mind and heart to to see as much of Africa as possible. I even remember sitting down one day and going, pulling on an atlas of Africa and thinking of um, traveling to all the capital cities of, of Africa as a way to see the continent. Um, but um, I thought a better idea would be to go see as many of the national parks as possible. And um, I had a postgraduate degree in um, journalism, so, so I always enjoyed writing. Um, and my photography, I always wanted to do better I just never had committed to doing it. And then I, I, so when I quit my job, I did a few part-time courses at Orms in Cape Town, a photography school there. And um, yeah, I just really immersed myself in the craft um, and, and, uh, and went from there. Where did you get your idea for the year in the wild, which actually became three years in the wild? I think the first time I heard, of, heard about you was when you were doing your year in the wild. And so that th- those three years you explored 50 wilderness areas in South Africa, including 12 of our national parks. Where did the idea come from? Yeah, so it was it was about, it was probably more than 50 nature reserves and, and so protected areas, 50 protected areas and then 19 national parks in South Africa. Um, and so the rest are provincial reserves. Um, so like the Drakensberg and places like that, which should be national parks, but aren't just because of political reasons. 
Um, and that idea came from yeah, sitting in that office in Joburg and 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 that sort of daydreaming, which just I kept in, doing incessantly. Um, and I also felt like um, as a as a white South African male, I should get to know the country that I was born in. And I realized that even though I went to a really good school in Cape Town, and even though I went to a top in, in like UCT, and I and I considered myself educated in one sense, I really felt really stupid in another sentence that I didn't even know my own country properly. Um, and I had this burning desire to, to see my country and to get to know it properly and to understand it, um, which is a completely different kind of education, but to me was desperately needed. Like I, I really wanted to do it um, for my own personal development. So, and the beautiful thing about the national parks and the nature reserves is that they're all over the country and they are, you know, the, the sort of the original landscapes and often the original peoples or the original cultures are still existing, if not in them, obviously, because, you know, some people were moved out, certainly around them. Um, and so they all, they all are, you know, symbolic of our, of our country, of, of the origins of our country. So um, I, I yeah, wrote up a proposal, sent it to someone at Sand Parks, the marketing manager at the time was Glenn Phillips. And um, I just, he was, he was a really open guy and he was really open to the idea of going to, for me to go and take photos and write articles and, and do a, a blog and Facebook and all that about the different national parks. And um, he opened the doors to all the provincial nature reserve organizations as well. So, um, it, yeah, the meeting actually lasted like 10 minutes. Um, and then he said, great, yeah, I'll give you access and accommodation to all the parks and make it happen. So then I had to go and raise sponsorship for the costs of it. So I went to Total, got some fuel money, um, got went to Ford. I borrowed a, 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 a backy from them and a couple of other smaller sponsors. And yeah, I, I planned it and drew up an itinerary and set off. And out of that, you produced this beautiful book, um, South Africa's Wildest Places, which um, is I find it such an inspiring book. I think your sense of adventure comes through in the writing that accompanies the beautiful photos in the book. Um, I wanted to know if you ever look at it and get a longing to go back to those places you visited for the book. And I ask this because whenever I look at the book, that's the first thing I want to do is to get out into the bush. All the time. So um, it's really hard when people ask me what my favorite national park or reserve or wilderness area is because they're also different and so special in their in each in their own way, um, especially in South Africa because they're, they're just incredible diversity. Um, we've got the most, I, mean, I think, the third most biological diversity on Earth after Indonesia and Brazil. Um, so, so they're also different and they all have their own um, appeal and feeling to me. Um, and so, yeah, I'm in, I'm after that trip. I mean, during that trip, I fell in love with my country and I really became proud. Like, I all, I really felt like. South Africa is 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 a, is a fantastic country um, that deserves as much you know support and and pride as possible. So, and that was purely through through the travel of going through the landscapes, meeting local people. Um, you know, when you sit in the cities and you're reading the news and you interacting with with urbanites, um, you, it's very easy to get despondent about South Africa. But when you go into the rural areas, you realize people just want to make the country great. You know, go forward. And, um, and and do the best they can. Um, and uh, yeah, so in many ways, being a city kid, growing up in a city of Cape Town, getting out there and going to all these different places was, was um, yeah, the best education I ever got. Um, 
And I really, yeah, I really developed a sense of, of identity as a South African, but also as an African. And I realized how, um, you know, we've got to try and get um, every, all, all, all people in South Africa, um, at least, and, and if not, you know, as many people around the world as possible to, to be cognizant and to know these places, you know, not just Kruger National Park, but Mapungubwe and a tiny place like Mkambati on the wild coast. They all are priceless. They really are priceless from a cultural and biological perspective. So, um, yeah, you know, when I look at my book now, um, uh, yeah, I could go back to these places again and again and again and uh, never get bored. Um, and a big reason that for that is the diversity and the beauty, but also because every season is different and the light is always changing. And as a photographer, there's always something new to see. So, yeah, I, 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 um, I just, yeah, I could do that uh, for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah. I share your passion for um, preserving our, our biodiversity. And as you as you mentioned, South Africa is the third most biodiverse nation in the world um, after Brazil and Indonesia, as you said, um, which is incredible given our relatively smaller size. Um, you wrote somewhere on your blog, I think, or maybe in your book, that in 100 years' time people will look back and think of Africa's conservationists as heroes. What has made you so p- passionate about conservation? That that uh, that question is it's got different sides to it, but the 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 one that um, is most obvious to me is that I almost feel that if you're a human being living on this planet and you're not passionate about conservation, then you you're not living in reality. I mean, you know, I think the, there's a big disconnect in modern societies where we believe that we're separate from nature, but at the end of the day, we are Homo sapiens and we are an animal and we're living on the planet and the planet that gave birth to us and we um, owe absolutely everything in our, of our existence to it so when we speak about conservation it's it's really about not just conservation of the landscapes and, and national parks and fresh water and you know uh, the bees that pollinate our, our crops etc it's 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 the conservation of a of what it means to be a human and to be to know our place on the planet um the mercy of, of 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 natural law, and we you know we've operated of, out of na- outside of natural law since the agricultural revolution ten thousand years ago, and even more so in the industrial revolution two hundred years ago. Um, so I think, yeah, I mean we've you know for most of our human history, two million years um, of evolution in Africa, we've lived in the absolute um, embrace of nature and, and had to live within natural law. And it's only in the last few hundred years we've lived, lived outside of that. And of course that just, you know, that's, that's, uh, that doesn't, that's not going to work in the long term, and it's not working now either. So, yeah, I mean, for me, conservation is really just about what it is really at the core of what it means to be a human being. We've got to, we've got to, I think, give back as much as we've taken, you know, in any relationship, I think if you just keep taking and taking, it's going to break down. That's not going to last. So I think it's it's very much a case now of of you know conservation is giving back to nature. It's not just about sustainability, but it's about actually rewilding a place and you know taking a denuded landscape and actually restoring it to what it was or as best as possible. So that's that's kind of like our duty. I mean, sustainability is a horrible word because it, it assumes that there's enough left to sustain, and there certainly isn't. You know. Um, but then conservation, you know, from a typical perspective in terms of our national parks and nature reserves. Um, yeah, these are, I mean, places where humans are still, you know, they're not in charge. We've um, given these wild animals and landscapes some breathing room from humans, 
and I think that's really important um, for society. And I think um, you know it kind of speaks to a, a theme that we're not the most important species on the planet, and it kind of reminds us of that um, when we go to these places. Um, and yeah, they have a right to exist independent of our needs as well. I love what you say when you say that conservation is what it means to be human, because that's exactly my view as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the there's also cultural, there's huge cultural symbolism as well. Uh, you know, in terms of Africa's wildlife and landscapes, um, it's, you know, the lion is 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 a cultural symbol across Africa. You know. You know, rulers and leaders and presidents and chiefs and you know, marketing companies, breweries—they all want to put the lion. You know, use the lion and, as a way to like you know to show how powerful they are or appeal to people in their marketplace. You know, but yet the, you know there are fewer than twenty thousand wild lions left in Africa. So you know, what does it mean that you know we're going to have a continent where you know there are banknotes and beers called lion with lions on them? But there are actually no wild lions left. Like, what is? It? I think that's like a really <laughs> depressing thought. You know, I mean, surely the very animal from which we are drawing all this inspiration, the very you know the the original you know wild species, surely that should be the most important thing to to celebrate. You know, um, and so what do what does it mean? You know, to a lot of African people as well who who who, who attach great you know symbolism to these animals that they won't be around necessarily. I think that's quite tragic as well for 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 the cultural African cultures, yeah. And leopard too. I mean, one of the reasons why I chose um, leopard as the name for my company is because it's it's just such a a beautiful animal with a lot of symbolism in the Zulu culture, lots of other cultures across Africa. But I'm from I grew up in KwaZulu Natal, so for the Zulu people, especially the leopard, is quite symbolic. Um, but it's also a very adaptable animal, which is like I was thinking about this in 2020 and how I've, how I've had to adapt in in that year and how lep- how leopards are adaptable. So p- possibly they are less threatened than lions. I haven't looked at the stats, but um, they are quite adaptable and can live in in areas that aren't necessarily protected. Yeah, like the well, they're solitary mountains. as well mm. most of the time, so they can and they and they can hide, so they can hide away more easily. Um, lions need large landscapes, and they're they're social, so they have to have you know bigger areas in which to to move. Um, and obviously, then you consume more prey, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, yeah, the leopard is, uh, I mean, a, a fantastic symbol of adaptability. Um, yeah, it's uh, um, yeah, and besides just being beautiful, they are yeah, they're remarkable animals. But to change tack slightly and to move on to photography, what do you love most about photography? So the type of photography I do in, you know, wilderness areas, national parks, wildlife photography, um, what I love about it is, um, you know, it's capturing the spirit of the of the place or the essence of the place or the wild animal. Um, it's really like a, an excuse in many ways to spend as much time as possible in these places because um, that's what re- I really love about my work is it gets me into these beautiful places and it just feels really good to be there. Um, so, so the, ph- the photography is almost like it just comes naturally after that. Um, and I guess, you know, the images that I try and produce are ones which capture a spirit of place. So, um, I tend to stay away from like portraits of wild animals, close up shots of leopards faces and things like that. I mean, 
leopards are beautiful. I could look at them all day. But but for me, it's really about the larger context, like what's the landscape of that in which the animal's living and you know what does it feel like to be there and when you go visit what it, what what are you going to feel you know when you're there so um yeah that's that's the, the photography it's so uh, so rewarding when i'm able to capture that spirit and that essence of a place and every place has got a different spirit you know kruger's so different to you know um the west coast namaqualand national park they've all and, and if you can get that feeling in that photograph of it's a feeling it's a it's a sense of atmosphere that that i really go for yeah I love how photographs tell stories. And I was in London for a friend's wedding in 2019, and I went to the National Geographic uh, Wildlife Photography Exhibition at the Natural History Museum. And I found that all the photos I was drawn to were those that told a story. Can you tell us about your favorite photo, one that you've taken, and the story behind it? Yeah, I think they, the, my, my favorite ones are ones where um, the animal is small in the landscape so i mean the, the one that i love is the giraffe crossing the mfalozi river um in in kwazulu natal in south africa that's you know it's a it's and for me it embodies the essence of wilderness there's this 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 beautiful river um braided river with an animal walking across it and you just know there's a sense of space there um of timelessness um you know um and you know there's those are kind of my favorite photographs. Um, there's another one of an elephant in minor pools in the Alberta forest, small in the land, small at the bottom of the frame, and then these big trees above it, and it's reaching up to feed on uh, to browse on on some of the pods. Um, so those sort of images were are the ones that really like you know talk to me. Um, the story is really the story of um, yeah, I guess yeah. The story of of I feel like a lot of these places aren't necessarily going to be around in a hundred years time, um, and so a lot of the time when I'm looking at these places, I'm, I'm I realize that and I'm cognizant of it, and so um, you know you can take a photograph of a of a leopard close up, but it doesn't really um, sp- explain what African wilderness is about, which has got that sense of space and timelessness and uh, and scale, right? So Africa is huge. Um, so even an elephant looks small in, you know, on the landscape of Africa. Yeah. And that giraffe one, I know the one you're referring to, also the elephant one, but I, I like it because it's an aerial view and you're right. It just looks um, this tiny animal in this vast yeah. and beautiful landscape. It's yeah, I don't, set, I don't necessarily set out with a goal in mind um, to, when I take photographs. Like I think for me it's more about just getting to a place and spending enough quality time in it and letting those photos almost appear to me um and there's an amazing it's funny how the more time you spend in a place those photos do just appear and i don't know if it's because i'm just spending the time in the places or because you just like develop a sixth sense of the place and you your eyes becomes tuned and your ear becomes tuned to the to the rhythm of that place um you know the more time you spend in it you know you can that's why if, you know if you rush into a place and try and take a few photographs and rush out again You'll just always be disappointed. You've got to, you've got to give it time. Yeah. So I'm not a great photographer. I might not even be average, but I've always liked taking photos of my holidays. And a good friend of mine who was actually a colleague at my first professional job recently reminded me of how I liked to, when I returned from a holiday, I would show my colleagues during our coffee break a slideshow of the photographs I've 
I took on the holiday because that was a way that I could share stories of the people I'd met and the experiences I had and the places I went to. So this was, yeah, this was before social media. And so that that's why I had the primitive laptop and slideshow. But I've always loved doing that. Do you enjoy sharing your photographs with others? I do. But I mean, I... I think I think I I do, but not because I feel like I've taken them, but just because I want to go to people and say, "Hey, look at this place! Look how incredibly beautiful it is!" Um, and so, yeah, I feel dr- I feel driven to 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 speak up for these places. Yeah, I mean that's really what I try and do. If you if I think about it as a photographer and a writer, it's like, hey, like you know, there's so much limbing human news in the news. Like, can we not just for one moment, like you know, spare a thought for these beautiful places that most a lot of people don't even know about and they deserve they deserve exposure and they deserve to be represented you know and they can't speak for themselves and so we've got to speak for them so um yeah i get i when i come back from a trip i get i'm so excited i'm on such a high um that i sometimes think my family i think my family and friends are you know i think i'm a bit nuts but i'm a i'm a different person once i spend time in these places and uh a lot of it is just because I'm so excited to to tell people about them and you know tell them where to go and you know like I just can't yeah I mean I don't know why I, people just why do people want to go to Europe on holiday I have no idea when when they could go to some of these places in Africa like for me it's just inconceivable but you know I understand people have different tastes yeah and it's one of the reasons why I love my job I think is because I um I love sharing my passion for South Africa and my knowledge of the country with others. So I'm really, really happy to have found a job, be able to do a job that I love so much with, with Leopard. Um, so photography has become ubiquitous now. If, if we think back even 20 years ago, it wasn't as ubiquitous because camera phones are everywhere now and there's social media. Years ago, people might have called Cape Town photogenic, but now it's called Instagrammable because it's so popular on social media platforms and with, with photographers. Um, just a quick story. When we were in the Coromandel in New Zealand, we got up really early because we had young kids, so have to get up early to keep them busy. And we took a hike out to Cathedral Cove, and it was just us, and then there was an influencer and her photographer there. And they literally spent hours taking photographs on this on this beautiful beach um and yeah it it just made me think that it seems like it's becoming harder and harder to just enjoy the moment before we compulsively reach for our phone to take a photo and i think especially in the bush which is i mean it's just magic it's far away from our pressing daily concerns of everyday life and you're just surrounded by nature how do you find that balance between just enjoying the experience and taking photographs of the experience? And I guess as a professional photographer, you're taking photographs a lot of the time as well. So when do you stop taking photos mm. and just enjoy the moment? Yeah, so I didn't even know Instagrammable was a word, but maybe that's because I'm older than people <laughs> are using that word. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, for me, more I've done my work and the more I've done my travels, um, the less inclined I am to pick up my camera, to be honest, because it does get in the way of the moment. So um, I try and spend as much time as possible without a camera in my hand. And then, you know, I'm very discerning when, when something does happen, 
and, so, and it, there is a beautiful scene. You know, your eye gets your eye gets trained, and so you don't pick up for every single you don't pick up your camera for every you know single animal that walks into your view field of view. Um, you become very discerning, and and that's just because you yeah you your eye becomes trained, and you've taken a thousand photographs of an elephant's eye already, and so you don't need a you don't need the the, the next one. Um, unless the light is spectacular or there's dust or there's something going on that's different, you know? So, um, yeah, I, uh, as I said earlier, like I just love spending time in these places and I don't need to have my camera with me. In fact, that's just a, a bonus if I do have it. Um, most of the time I just love being in these places and photography is a is a way to earn a living in these places and it's, a, and it's an excuse to be in these places. So, um yeah, I, 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 yeah. The, the the photography is it does the camera gets in the way of the moment. I totally understand it, and especially if it's a phone, because um, the phone's got all those other things on it as well. So yeah, yeah, I understand why people want to take photographs because I love looking back and remembering the moment. But yeah, for me, it's more more about the balance um, yeah. rather than just one or the other. Yeah, and it's almost like I mean I don't know. I sometimes feel like it's a bit rude, <laughs> like. <laughs> You pick a, you know, like there's this elephant or something next to you and like you pick a camera and you're like taking photos and, you know, like, and that's cool if you've, you know, kind of, you know, spent that time with the elephant and you've acknowledged its presence and you've, you've respected its, it's what it's doing there and it, you know, and it, it's, there's some level of trust, you know, it, it's noticed you and it's relaxed around you, you know, but uh, it's, I don't know, it's like, imagine if you took a, picked up a camera and just started taking photos of a complete stranger that you just met. You know, it would seem a bit weird. You know, maybe you got to like ask them first or something. You know? We were in Krafnet recently for our December holiday, and we went to the Valley of Desolation, and we we went the first evening for the sunset, and the the light was just so beautiful. We just took so many photos um, that we actually decided to come back the next evening just to just to enjoy the peace of the place. And so it was great to get those two experiences. Obviously, I love those photos of of the Valley of Desolation. Um, but it's nice to have also just been there, been in the moment, and just enjoyed the beauty of the place. Yeah, I think safaris are changing in that way as well. I certainly noticed it in the in the in the, in the years that I've been doing my work, is that um, there's, it's less about information being sort of like downloaded onto someone by their guide, and it's more about um, letting them experience something for themselves. You know which I think is more powerful in a way. Um, so, yeah, and I think that's the same with photography that, and the guiding that happens with that. Yeah, I think people it, people are changed by the experiences in the bush. Um, my parents used to run safaris and, and they had clients who brought their children who were who became lifelong advocates for, for Africa actually after those experiences as young adults, I guess, teenagers. In yeah, South it, Africa, it's interesting to see how how some people do respond to to those experiences. It re, I mean, some people are yeah. I mean, it sounds cliched, you know, to be transformed or changed, but it definitely happens. And uh, I don't know. I think it's because it's just yeah. I mean, there's something about African wilderness that that that, that talks to people like about you know. Maybe it's got something to do with our human origins in Africa, and and there's a like a some sort of you know, way back a genetic coding in our in our brains, which which you know we recognize Africa as being home of sorts. Yeah, who knows? Everyone wants to take better pictures, whether it's just to have better memories or you know to show, share better 
better photographs with with their friends, as we've been discussing. Do you have any tips to help the average traveler take better photos? Yeah, the first one, as I mentioned earlier, to spend time. If you can, spend time in a place and don't rush it. Um, if you if you, you rush it, you're going to be disappointed. Um, yeah, and there's so much out of your control when it comes to wildlife photography. There's the light, the animal, the place, um, you know. Um, so, yeah, you've got to go in with quite a humble attitude, um, accepting that you might not get the, the best shot ever. Um, and then yeah, get up early and spend the whole day out there and, and, and only go home when it's like really pitch dark and if you've back to the lodge it's pitch dark and you you know you're too tired to carry on because that's how that's how the best um, imagery is captured um obviously you've got to have the right lens as well and the right gear i think uh, for wildlife you need to have a long lens a telephoto lens just to 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 zoom in adequately um but uh, for landscapes yeah you just need a normal you know wide angle lens and uh, and then a lot of the time that's fine you don't need the animal to be so you know to fill the frame you can you can let the landscape fill the frame and then the animal can be small in the frame um, and gives a nice sense of space as well yeah yeah that's that's true actually um it's it is quite difficult when the the animals are quite far away and you it, i mean you need binoculars to see them sometimes so to take photographs of them is even even more difficult um and bird photography as well is is quite um, tricky. Do you have any other tips besides ones you've already mentioned for people who want to take great photos on safari, so specifically wildlife photos? Yeah, so definitely get the right lens. I think the telephoto lens is important. So something at, at like 100 to 400 or 70 to 200, and if you can't afford it, a 500, although that's really big. Um and then the right, I think the right places are important as well to go to the right places um, in the right season. So you, that's like really important. Um, you know, there's some parts of Kruger which, you know, you're not going to be um, that satisfied with, you know, the Mopani woodland in the center of the reserve. That's not the most photogenic place to, to for, you know, for backdrops. But, you know, for, for you know, um, if you go further south, you know, to 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 areas with along the riverine areas, then you know that that'll be a, you know, better for photography. So you can guide people in that direction. Um, it's not to say you can't get amazing photographs in those difficult you know, um, terrains, which which aren't as photogenic as other terrains. But um, you're just going to increase your chances if you do go to the right places. And if you can afford it, then go obviously to a place like Mala Mala or you know uh, Londolozi, where you know. The, the animals are so, so habituated to photographers and land rovers that, that they, you know, you do, you know, they allow, allow, they allow you to get much closer than probably in a public park like Kruger National Park. Although these days, you know, people are getting amazing photographs just going on their own to Kruger. So because the animals have had, you know, almost, you know, a hundred years of, of, uh, of interacting with, with humans and cars that don't cause them any harm. So they're, they're habituated now. Um, but yeah, you know, and it depends on what you want to photograph, which species. So, you know, you're going off to Rwanda to photograph the gorillas now. Um, and that's, uh, yeah, the, you know, you're obviously going to see gorillas there cause that's, you know, what they do. And, um, so, um, I would say, yeah, speak, definitely speak to, you know, your clients need to speak to to you and get a, get an idea of of uh, of what they want to achieve. And if they want to get a specific type of photograph, then the place and and the lodge is critical, and the guiding too, because the, the, a great guide can 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 anticipate a photograph 
um, and also put you in the right position for it. I've been on quite a few game drives with guides who are great guides but not photographers. So they position the vehicle in a, in, in a, in a way which isn't, doesn't make the best, you know, photograph. So that's, that's, where, that's where a photographic guide is really useful. And I have to say um, that I think that's probably one of the things that I do well at Leopard is to try and pick the right guides, whether it's photography or food or wine. And, and I, I agree with you so much. A good guide can make a difference between an average and an amazing holiday especially for people who don't have any background and knowledge, a good guide is, is like, is, um, unsurpassed. So, uh, so thanks for, yeah, thanks for absolutely. That no, I agree with that. And, um, um, it's, it's, it's critical if, you know, to, to the whole experience, um, you know, to, to have the right guide with you. What's your favorite place to photograph in South Africa? I'm sure there's many, but one that's close to your heart. They, so the the ones that I love the most are the ones that have have meant the most to me personally. Like they all they all have their own qualities from a photography point of view, but I love the I love the landscapes of of um, the Richtersveld um, up in the northwest Northern Cape um, on the Orange River just near Namibia, uh, um, simply because I went there on my own over New Year's for um, about ten days one year long ago, and um, uh, just lost myself in that landscape and the the sense of freedom there and the, the size and the scope and the, the size of the mountains and the, the boulders on those mountains are just unbelievable and they're some of the oldest uh, rock in the world, oldest geology in the world. So, um, yeah, you can walk up those mountains and, you know, and sit on the top and uh, just, I don't know, point, take your camera and click the button and you're sure of a good photograph. So it kind of does the job for you. Um, but then in terms of wildlife, obviously a place like Kruger is always going to be up there. Umfalozi as well, beautiful landscape. Shishlui in the hills of Zululand, really beautiful. Um, and then Khalakhadi, um, you know, w which is spectacular pretty much all year round um, for the, you know, the open, uh, you know, I, what's nice about Khalakhadi is you don't have a busy background to your images. You know, in Kruger, you've, it's quite bushy and it's a lot of woodland, so you often have these cluttered backgrounds. But in Khalakhari, because it's it's a it's a semi-desert um, landscape, you've got clear backgrounds. Um, in summertime, you've got huge thunderstorms, so that makes a nice frame for for your animal. You know, there's something in the sky that's like really clean and beautiful and big, um, and the light is spectacular in summer. I actually prefer. Um, you know, Kalahari in summertime because there's just so much more life and the the, the thunder clouds fantastic for for backgrounds and photographs yeah interesting i actually remember in your book you've got i think a double page spread of lines that you took in the Khalakhadi and um the the light and the as you say the the landscapes are just so conducive to wildlife photography up there yeah it's um and it's 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 not as it's not as managed as kruger so it's part of a bigger landscape you know it goes into botswana um and it's a few camps and the roads aren't hard and things like that so there's a sense that it's a bit wilder than Kruger, although Kruger's got huge areas which are still very wild. Yeah. Uh, Scott, is are there any um, places that you that stand out in your mind that are not famous and should be famous? So things that are a bit more off the yeah. beaten track. For sure. Like so, um, I think I think certainly when you come on, for the first time to Africa, you probably want to go to the places like Kruger and Serengeti and um, you know some of the more 
well-established places, but certainly after your first trip, um, to to go to those places and and be and and be um, yeah be um, different enough to to try them out. I mean, a place like Northwest Namibia, um, Karkofelt and Dumreland, it's now called Kuneni. I think it's called Kuneni Region in Namibia because um, those 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 Karkofelt and Dumreland are actually um, sort of colonial terms. But um, the Northwest of Namibia is a place where which is not like in a, I think a place like Kruger or the Serengeti, it's a defined national park. But then you go to get these places in Africa, which are these big landscapes, which are a lot of community, you know, it's um, community owned. So, I mean, Northwest Namibia is where the Himba live and it's a large landscape where you don't have fences. Um, and so there's this real sense of old Africa, you know, so you can be, um, you know, driving along and there's a, you'll see a, a, a Himba shepherd with his cattle. And then uh, you might bump into a black rhino or a lioness with her cubs, um, a desert elephants. And then you might come into a Himba village or something. So that it's, you know, the desert, you know, the, 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 the those places, a place like Karkofelt should be better known. But because it's not a, a national park that gets marketed as such, it probably isn't well known, but it should definitely be visited. Um, yeah, and then, you know, a place like the Central Kalahari in Botswana. I mean, there's the Central Kalahari Game Reserve. You know, most people go to the Okavanga Delta, I think, um, just because that's got the, the, the big reputation, in, you know, um, amongst, you know, from Nat Geo and things like that. But the Central Kalahari is the second biggest land, um, nature reserve in Africa. Um, after the Salu in Tanzania. Um, oh, I didn't you, know that. Yeah, it's okay. 55,000 square kilometers. Wow, so it's enormous. two and a half times the size of Kruger. Yeah, And okay. it takes up that whole big chunk of central Botswana. Um, and there, there are you know, a couple of lodges there, but they are so spread out and so few and far between that you, you when you go there, you, you yeah, I mean, it's, for me, I feel like that's a much more rewarding experience than going to the Delta when it's busy and you know you'll have a you know, the delta the planes flying overhead are notorious these days because it's become so popular that it's almost you know now a victim of its own success whereas the central kalahari is so far out the way um you know it doesn't have the it doesn't have the water that the delta has but if you catch it at the right time of year like uh, with the first rains it's just unbelievable you'll have you know f- um, endless endless um green grass with herds of giraffe moving fr- through it um, um, you know, flowers everywhere, butterflies. I was there in January last year um, for for two weeks, and the butterflies. They, we must have seen. Um, I mean, I'm not exaggerating when I said we've seen. We must have seen over a billion butterflies because they were just, they were just everywhere. They were just, they were just. Uh, and, you know, it was the butterflies there were more special than you know most a lot of other you know leopard or lion sightings I've seen. So. You know, the and and when you go there, there there are hardly any people there. So these are like really special places to go. Um, But it's important to catch at the right time and the right season as well. Um, So that's again where you know your advice to your clients will become critical. You know, Um, so um, yeah, and then and then yeah, I mean a place like Gonorizor National Park in southeastern Zimbabwe, probably one of the wildest places I've been. It's been off the map for a long time, but it's it's really well run now it's run by frankfurt zoological society in conjunction with zimbabwe parks um and it's you know if you if you imagine south africa and the map of kruger it's basically just across the border from kruger into southeastern zimbabwe um and it's um yeah it's one of the most beautiful and 
undeveloped but really well-run national parks with yeah they've got 11,000 elephants there um which is you know Kruger's got 16 I think or 17,000 um 20,000 square kilometers Gonorrhizor is like a quarter of the size and it's got 11,000 so there are lots of illies um and um yeah it, again if I like it because there's a sense of wilderness there which you don't necessarily get in in some of the busy areas of Kruger these days or other national parks um you can be there and you'll be all alone um for a couple of days um before you see anyone um and um, yet the facilities are still good and there are you know one or two lodges uh, around the national park which you can stay in um chilo gorge lodge which is on the on the save river which is just next to next to the park is an amazing place to stay so these are all little gems that i've discovered along the way and uh, i would much rather go back to the those places and some of the more sort of um you know well-established popular places and i think in the future a um, place like on resort will be as famous as Serengeti or, or Kruger, just just because of the the sheer beauty of the place, yeah. And that's the wonderful thing about Africa, I find, is that um, the more you explore, the more you realize how many places there are that are really unknown and not very well known. So um, it's just always surprising. Um, you know, you think you've seen everything, and then and then you go, hey, but gee, I didn't know about that national park or that nature reserve. And then you go there, and it's like, wow, why don't more people know about this place? And so there's a, a real sense of discovery still in Africa um, that you can have, you know. And I think that's probably where a good uh, agent such as yourself is really important because you can give them, your clients, some of the established places to, like, you know, introduce them and then you can kind of, like, get them out of their comfort zone a little by going to these other places just for a while to get them a sense of both both, uh, um, both, both feelings, you know. Exactly. And I mean, that's um, what I really try to do for my clients is, is, is show them something unique, show them, show them something different. Um, everyone knows about Kruger and it's quite hard to convince clients to, to not visit Kruger. So most first time visitors want to visit Kruger and Kruger is great for a first time safari because there's just such great wildlife there. It's it's very accessible. Um, the roads are great. But there's some, as you say, there's some real gems out there. And even if you spent your lifetime traveling around Africa, you you wouldn't you wouldn't see them all. That's also why um, good advice will will really help because where to, when to go to these places, the seasons, as you were saying, how to combine them, what makes sense because. I think sometimes clients have unrealistic expectations of the distances also between places. So some places are much easier to combine than others. Um, so yeah, that 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 inside knowledge and that experience, because if you haven't been to a place, uh, it's very difficult to to visualize it. No matter how much research you do until you've been there, you don't know what to expect. No, absolutely, and I think the people on the ground in those places which are less well known are critical. So having the right, you know, contact at the lodge and the right guide and uh, the right local people, it makes all the difference, um, you know. Um, I mean, the other thing that that I think pe surprises people is, you know, a lot of people come to Africa and then they, they think that it's it's what they see in the Nat Geo film. So it's the Serengeti and it's like, you know, the bushveld of Kruger. But then you go take them to a place like Duhup Nature Reserve on the Southern Cape Coast where there are whales and dolphins and endless long beaches and, beautiful rock pools you know, with all these fish in it, you know, or Sodwana Bay, you know, coral reefs and, you know, like, you know, close to Durban, you know, people are really surprised by that. So 
in a way, I think I think that's like a real amazing thing about Africa is that you can give someone a bit of everything, mm-hmm. um, you know. Um, especially the, here in South Africa. Especially in South Africa yeah. because it's just so diverse. Exactly. Yeah. 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 The yeah. diversity is something that I think makes us different from from everywhere else. Yeah. I mean, we don't realize how how lucky we are to have these places in Africa still. And I don't think Af- Africa understands what it can offer the world. And I think if governments and politicians did realize that, I think they'd probably, you know, put even more effort behind their conservation from a long-term perspective. Um, yeah, I mean, in many ways, the, yeah, I mean, how do you put a price on extinction of a species? How, how do you know, how, what, what's, the, what's, what do you lose, you know? Well, um, to me, it's way more, you know, losing a species, any species is way more tragic than, than, you know, the Louvre in Paris burning down. Because, you know, it's like, you know, that animal, that species is not coming back, but, you know, humans can always create more art. Um, so, yeah, and, and I think, yeah, in, in, in some ways, um, I don't think Africa should only be responsible for the conservation of its wilderness. Mm-hmm. And we should all, yeah, every, I mean, these are world, we are world icons and their world heritage, uh, um, you know, um, species. So, yeah. And that's why I think it's also so important to get people into these areas. And with 2020 and the coronavirus, uh, fewer people have, have traveled to these places. And, and it's, a, it's a pity, in, in my opinion, because it's only through experiencing these places that people will really understand why they should be conserved for future generations or, or just for, for the survival of biodiversity. Where did you grow up in KwaZulu-Natal? I grew up on the south coast, so a tiny little town called Umkumas, um, which I grew up before it was very famous for diving. Now it's extremely famous for diving. So I grew up there and um, we used to do a lot of trips to the um, the national parks around there. So Shushlui and Fulozi we went to a lot. and But our, our favorite one we went to most often was um, Umkuzi, which is close to Isimangaliso. And um, uh, my parents were great bird watchers still are and so um there's great diversity of bird species there because quite close quite tropical almost and close to um mozambique and swaziland eswatini so yeah i spent a lot of time time up there and it's a tiny it's it's like so off the beaten track i don't know if any international visitor has ever gone there um but it's this tiny tiny little national park accessed by a terrible road like yeah we just went in our sedan vehicle it was a terrible drive to get there but once you're there uh it's just like you've been transported into another world some place that's uh, you 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 know nothing is is familiar and it's it's so close to my heart i just really love it up there yeah there's something very special about zululand in that area um which i love too um you, uh, not necessarily in the height of summer when it's humid, yeah. but every other time of year, I'm very, very happy to be there. Scott, any final tips for listeners who want to come to South Africa and they have a special interest in photography? Yeah, I would say um, decide rather than go try to go to too many places, just pick one or two and spend a lot of time in those places um, because I think. Um, it's tempting to rush around and sort of tick off places, but um, what what I found is that if the more time you spend in a place, the more rewarding it becomes. 
Um, and I guess it's the same as, you know, meeting someone for the first time, you know, you, the more you know them, the, the better you, you understand them and, and potentially get on with them. Um, and it just takes the pressure off from a photography point of view. It just really helps to have an extra day or two beyond the, you know, two or three days that most safaris, you know, to, to, to Africa will run. So if you've got like five or six days, it makes such a difference because you can go back to the same waterhole or you can go back to the same area and, you know, photograph the same sort of um, landscape again and again. And, and, and a lot of the best wildlife photographers will choose a really photogenic spot um, and just wait then for an animal to wander into the frame and then take the photograph as opposed to chasing the animal. So, um, and many times it helps just to sit and, and, and wait um, because when you chase an animal, they pick up on it. And when I say chase, you know, you actually like go looking for one and then like you see one and then you drive after and you try and get a photo. Obviously, it's going to be anxious and it's going to move away. It's going to be a bit stressed. But if you're sitting and you're quiet and the animal comes in, comes towards you, you, you absolutely, you know, got a much better chance of the animal behaving naturally and behaving more calmly. And and uh, and and then and then you're going to get a much better photograph as well. Yeah, you know, it's going to end up, you know, it's just um, its whole behaviors will will be completely different. And that for that you need time and a place. Yeah. Um, Scott, if people want to reach you, how's the best way to do that? Well, they can get hold of you first if they want and get hold of you. They, you can put me in touch with them or just go to my website, scottramsey.africa. Um, and I'm on Instagram also at scottramsey.africa. So just Google Scott Ramsey and yeah, I should pop up somewhere. <laughs> and I'll link it in the show notes for listeners to be able to click through. Thanks for listening to this episode. To find out more about what we do at Leopard, visit leopard.voyage.